Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from one of our pastors. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Well, Mary and I enjoyed a little time off this past week. Um, we took the kids, the grandkids, to uh, Disney. The trick in taking grandkids to Disney is convincing them it's all about them. And, uh, and you're, you're letting them do everything they want to do uh, and still get to do what you want to do. Uh, now, that's the real trick. Uh, one afternoon, Mac and I, we, the kids all went back to the, the hotel to go swimming and stuff. And Mac and I got to go back over by ourselves and hang out. And, and uh, some people spotted him and came up and started asking to take pictures with him. And, and so I was standing there and I was sitting there, ah, you know, I'm going to take a picture of them taking a picture with Mac. And then I thought, no, because then I'll be like mom. And because uh, that's what grandmas do, right? <laughs> and that's what moms do. And I decided not to do that, but uh, we still, we had a great time together. And uh, Tag started us off last week on this thing uh, about messy lives. And I chose a character uh, out of the Old Testament. I mean, he covers Genesis chapter 25 all the way up to 49, so it's a lot we know about him. And, um, and his name is Jacob. And other than the king, uh, other than King David, uh, Jacob, you know, his, his life was pretty unusual, very unusual. And some things happened to him that nobody else, it, happened, it didn't happen to anybody else. And, and so as we study scripture, one of the things we take into account as a team when we're planning sermon series and stuff. Um, we want to teach you the whole counsel of Scripture. And I think it's a mistake to study the Bible without some sort of plan or system in place. Um, for you to go to some of the epistles, which were letters that were written, and just pick out a few sentences, a few verses, so to speak, and read those, yeah, you can learn something, and uh, those can be very important verses, but if you just picked out a few verses of a whole letter, you might be missing the point. In fact, you could misinterpret, mishandle those passages. You may be getting it to say something it never intended to say, and you are taking it out of context. Well, the same thing is true about a person's life. And so Jacob, there are a couple of stories about Jacob that we know. And a couple of them, if you just studied those stories on their own, by themselves, isolated from everything else we know about Jacob, you would probably draw very different conclusions about this guy. And, uh, and it would be a mistake. And you would make some decisions or probably make some choices in your life that would not be correct. So it is very important that we have a systematic way of studying scripture. Now, when I teach scripture, um, I like teaching a lot of passages, you know, in story form to you so that you get a bigger picture of what's happening. Then we can draw conclusions and things that we need to apply to our lives. And, um, you know, Mary and I told you uh, two weeks ago that we've been going through the attic and starting to downsize on some things, getting rid of a lot of documentations and stuff we just don't need anymore. And uh, we ran across this letter uh, before our trip to Disney 
that Mary's mother had written to us before we were married, so 40 plus years ago. And it was very interesting what she said. Um, and so we visited with Mary's uh, mother before we headed to Florida. And we mentioned the letter. We said, hey, yeah, we found this letter you wrote to us before we were married. And, and uh, the famous line that's in the letter is, let me introduce you to my Jesus. Um, and so we were telling Mary's mother that. And she says, I don't remember writing that letter. And uh, I said, yeah, we were trying to figure out what you were, why you wrote the letter. And she says, oh, I remember that. And uh, I said, well, you don't remember writing the letter, but you remember why you wrote the letter. And she said, you know, said, yeah, because, you know, back then, you, talking about me, you were very legalistic. And that's an understatement. I was very legalistic. I was just, you know, there was black, it was black and white. It was, you know, the, there was a narrow path that you had to be on. And, um, and people like that, you know, when I was like that, you, you just, you weren't fun to be around. And, and so it was not, it was not an easy time. And she was graciously uh, dealing with that. So I'm very thankful for that. Now she wants to let her back. And because uh, I guess she wants to show everybody what she said about me and, um, and, and straightened me out. And, uh, you know, Don met my Jesus. And, uh, and that, you know, that's a good thing. But uh, anyway, so if I had just taken one sentence out of that letter, um, I would have missed the whole point. So when you study scripture, be sure you study it in context. Be sure you study, study it in in the bigger picture, in the bigger scheme of things, because then you will look at it very differently. And we're going to see that today. Now, Jacob, just get the point of who Jacob is. You have Abraham. Abraham was the guy that God made a covenant with. Now, Abraham had some messy things in his life. Uh, and then Abraham had a son named Isaac. And we know the story about Isaac and how God asked Abraham to offer up Isaac for a sacrifice. And then <clears throat> Isaac has twin boys with, um, with Rebekah. And these twins uh, come along and they are called Esau and Jacob. So now we are talking about Jacob. So his grandfather was Abraham. His dad was Isaac. And Jacob was the second born of the twins. So Isaac was about 60 years old. And when Jacob was born and Abraham was around 50, 159 to 160 years old. And he died right in that period of time. But uh, these boys were very different. I mean, Abraham, uh, Isaac saw the difference. The mom saw the difference. Um, Esau was the hunter. He was the outdoorsman guy. Uh, he's described as an extremely hairy guy. Uh, and, and so imagine this. Um, Isaac, uh, Jacob was not that way at all. Um, to say it nicely, he was a mama's boy. You know, he liked staying home and working in the kitchen. And, and so he hung out with Rebecca a lot of times. And, and, and so... <clears throat> Jacob did something. 
he conspired with his mom against the older brother, against Esau. So the mother of Esau conspired against her own son and conspired against her own husband so that Jacob would get the blessing of, that was reserved for the firstborn. And this birthright is very important. You know, you and I might not make a big deal about it today, but back then it's a big deal because four things happened when you got that birthright. Number one, you were now the superior rank of the family. So you were the boss. I mean, people had to do what you said. Secondly, you received a double portion of the inheritance. You had more responsibility. Uh, you had to take care of more people. So you received doubled, double the inheritance. Uh, you had the priestly office of the family. That means you were the spiritual leader. And in this case, it means that for Jacob, he, when he received that blessing, he would become the one that the promise, the covenant made with Abraham would pass through Abraham to Isaac, now to Jacob instead of Esau. Through Jacob would come the nations of the earth. And the earth would be blessed because of Jacob. So, after he stole his birthright, the birthright from his brother, uh, Jacob started having some consequences of his guilt, and he felt, he felt uh, bad. He, and also he knew Esau was going to be very angry, and rightly so. Um, and so, Rebecca still deceiving her husband. She suggested to uh, Isaac, why don't you send Jacob to, you know, about 400 miles away to where his cousins live so that he could find a wife. And, and that's exactly what happened. So what we're going to see is um, some of those things that happened to Jacob. And some of them, they just don't make a lot of sense. So we're going to try to understand some of these things. So in Genesis chapter 28, here's what it says. Jacob left for Beersheba and was traveling towards Haran where he was going to find his wife. And, um, and at sundown, he arrived at a good place and he set up a camp and he stopped there for the night. And Jacob found a stone and to rest his head upon as he laid down into sleep. As he slept, he dreamed of a stairway that reached from the earth all the way up to heaven. And he saw angels, the angels of God going up and down this staircase. And at the top of the staircase, he saw the Lord. And here's what God said to Jacob. I am the Lord, the God of your grandfather Abraham and the God of your father Isaac. So he clearly identified himself, who he was. The ground you are lying on belongs to you. And I'm giving it to you and your descendants. Now your descendants will be numerous as the dust of the earth. They will spread out in all directions. From the east to the west, from the north to the south. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through you and through your descendants. Well, this is huge. 
What's more, I am with you. Listen to what God says to Jacob and start asking yourself, does Jacob even deserve this? I mean, his name, Jacob, means deceiver. And man, you talk about somebody who lived up to his name. Jacob did. But here's what God said. I am with you. I will protect you wherever you go. And one day I'll bring you back to this land and I will not leave you until I have finished giving you everything I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and he said, surely the Lord is in this place and I wasn't even aware of it. Well, we're going to learn a lot of lessons through these stories. We're going to read a little bit more of this one, but I want to stop right there for a moment just to say this. The very first lesson I learned in all of this is God is sovereign. He decides who he's going to bless. He decides what he's going to do. I mean, you and I, I'm blessed in so many ways, and I've not earned any of it. God chooses how he blesses because he's sovereign. And I don't have to understand his sovereignty to get that. Because God's not asking me to understand. He's just asking me to know I'm sovereign. That means I decide. When Jacob woke up, he said, surely God's in this place. But he was also afraid. Now we see the character of Jacob coming out. Because here, here's the second lesson. You tend to respond to God based on your personal character. Based on your personal experiences. Based on who you are deep in your core. That's how you tend to respond to God. Jacob said, I'm afraid. And said, what an awesome place this is. It's none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. The next morning, Jacob got up early in the morning. He took the stone that rested on his head. He rested his head on and he set it upright into a memorial pillar. And then he poured olive oil over it as that was one of the ways they would sacrifice or, or bless something, sanctify something. He named the place Bethel, which means house of God. Although it was previously called Lux, L-U-X, or L-U-Z. Then Jacob made this vow. Now, now we're going to see the character of Jacob coming out. So here, here's where your character comes in, into play into how you respond to God. And because we know the bigger picture of Jacob, this makes total sense what he does. If God will indeed be with me, and if God will protect me on this journey, and if he will provide me with food and clothing, and if I return safely to my father's home, then the Lord will certainly be my God. Did you get all that? 
Jacob, because he was uh, really good at being a deceiver, and because Jacob was always looking out for Jacob, he was going to decide whether he would follow God or not based on God doing certain things for him. Wow, really? You're going to tell God, all right, God, if you give me a great job, if you give me a nice home, if uh, you bless me with this and you bless me with that, then you're really God. Is that, what, is that the way God works? Not at all. But here again, his character, your character tends to dictate how you respond to God. So if you're a fearful person, every time something, you know, you kind of get away from God a little bit, your fear kicks in and you go, okay, I'm not sure God's going to save me. I I think maybe I lost my salvation. I think maybe... um, I wasn't really sincere when I prayed to receive Christ, and I think maybe this, and I think, I mean, your weaknesses play out in your life and how you respond to God, and that's what Jacob was doing. God, if, then, and and the only person who really can do the if-then clause is God himself. I mean, he's the one that says, if you pray to receive Christ, then I will save you. If you confess your sins, then I will forgive you. Only God can really use the if-then clauses when it comes to us because he's sovereign. He's God. So Jacob, I mean, let's face it. He had a messy life. And he was going to put conditions on God. Your character determines the level of your faith. So when I looked at these conditions that Jacob put, here's basically what Jacob was saying. I will trust God as far as I'm able to see God. I will trust God as far as I'm able to see God work. But where I don't see God or what I cannot see yet, that's, uh, that's debatable. That's the gray area. I don't know. What did the Bible say? In fact, what did Jesus say? Jesus said something like this. You know, you're blessed because you have seen and you have believed, but Even more blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So Jesus is saying the greater faith is when you cannot see beyond a certain place and you still trust God. Even though you cannot see how he's going to do it, even though you don't see how it's going to fit together, even though you don't see how he's going to make it all come to pass, you still choose to believe God. But Jacob, being the messy guy he was, he could only trust God 
as far as he could see. So your character does make a difference. So now Jacob meets this girl named Rachel. He falls in love with her. So he goes to her dad and says, hey, I, I want to marry Rachel. He says, great, work for me for seven years and she's all yours. So he loved her enough. He was willing to do that. He worked for his dad, for his father-in-law for seven years. And uh, at the end of the seven years, they had the big ceremony and the, the way they would dress up the bride, you know, it was all a veil and the, the clothing and all this. So Jacob had a huge surprise on his honeymoon. It wasn't Rachel at all. It was Rachel's older sister. And that's who he just legally married, not even knowing it was not Rachel. And so, of course, he got a little upset about that, as you can imagine. And he goes to the father-in-law and says, what's up? I mean, what is this all about? And the father-in-law says, well, you know, she's the oldest daughter and you got to marry the oldest daughter first because if somebody younger than her in the family gets married, then you're going you're gonna to be stuck with this, you know, this old maid for the rest of her life and you don't want that. But I tell you what I'm going to do, I'm going to let you work for seven more years and then I will give you Rachel. So 14 years he worked for this true love, Rachel. Man, Jacob got a little taste of his own medicine because that's probably exactly what he would have done. Jacob was always looking out for Jacob. So now he takes his family and he's heading out and the father-in-law gets wind of it and he gets angry and he chases after him. And so they have a meeting and they, they meet there in the wilderness and they kind of talk things out and things work out. But um, here again, Jacob's kind of reaping what he's sowing. And so then Jacob, he's heading back to his dad and here he hears that Esau's coming with 400 men. Now Jacob, because of his character, he realized Esau's probably coming to set the record right. And Esau's probably coming to get revenge. And the reason he thought that was is because he would have done the same thing. And he thought that because of how he had treated Esau and what he had done. I mean, he, he could not, he was cunning, he was a deceiver, and he took things that rightly belonged to Esau away from Esau. And so... Jacob plays it out and he sends his family, his flock, he sends gifts ahead, his servants ahead, and he's kind of trying to appease Esau, but then he's by himself and, and he has this wrestling match. What is that all about? This is a weird scene in scripture where he wrestles through the night with an angel of God. Now, as a little kid, when I read that story, I went, how do you beat an angel? Right? I mean, one angel can wipe out a nation. So how are you going to beat an angel in a wrestling match? Except that it was sovereign will of God. That's the only way. And Jacob, being the cunning guy... He would not let go of the angel until he blessed him. 
See, he's got to get something out of the deal, right? And uh, maybe that's how you do God sometimes. God, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to commit my life to this, and I'm going to do all these things for you, but I want something in return. You, you ever do that with God? You try to bargain with him? And the angel touched Jacob's hip, threw it out of socket, and Jacob walked with the limp the rest of his life. As a reminder, Jacob and Esau, they, they worked things out, and um, things ended well with them. But Jacob started having his own kids. Now, the most famous one that you would remember is Joseph. Now, Jacob started parenting the way he was parented, and he played favorites. I mean, his dad favored Esau, and his mom favored him. And so Joseph, uh, Jacob's doing the same thing, and, and he favors Joseph, and he sets up Joseph for a rough life. I mean, he had the younger brother go spy on the older brothers to make sure they're doing their job. Imagine how you felt. And then the younger brother always got the best gifts at Christmas. I mean, you know, the, the dad would hand out nothing to the older dad, uh, to the older kids, but this, this Joseph kid, man, he got, he got everything. It'd be like you waking up on Christmas Day and your sister or your brother, every present on the tree had their name on it and none of them had yours. How would you feel about that? And maybe some of you, when some of, the, some of you have younger siblings, like I have a younger brother. My sister and I will tell you, oh yeah, he got away with murder. Oh yeah, he got whatever he wanted. Oh yeah. And some of you know what I'm saying. Now, some of you who are the younger brother and sister, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> so he played favorites and, and Joseph paid a price, sold into slavery. The dad was told, Jacob was told, oh, your son's dead. And so he believed that for a long time. But even that, we see the sovereignty of God. So God would take the flawed character of Jacob and the flawed character of Jacob's other sons and allow some nasty stuff to happen to Joseph only to make him second in command of all of Egypt which was going to be necessary to save the covenant made all the way back to Abraham. You see, the sovereignty of God worked in the evil intent of those brothers. And God took Joseph and used him to save his family to keep his promise, the covenant he had made to Joseph's great-grandfather, Abraham.
Wow. The similarities in the lives of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are striking. Their stories that we see are the importance of family and the influence of example, the good and the bad. The themes of deceit and favoritism and family strife, unexpected and unearned and undeserved blessing, reconciliation, it says a lot to us. And even though our sinful tendencies and patterns may plague us, in Christ we still find forgiveness for our sins and the power to overcome. And you and I are invited to participate in God's work in the world. Jacob's name was Deceiver. And it does seem to characterize much of Jacob's life. But then he is, his name became Israel. One to whom God made promises to which he, God, remained faithful. Wow. Even though Jacob always seemed to be the man that had his eye on how it was going to benefit him. Don't mistake, make the mistake of thinking, well, Jacob did all these bad things, did all these things wrong, but in the end it worked out pretty good for him. Don't think that God blessed Jacob's wicked ways. God kept his promises and covenant because he's God, not because of Jacob. God is sovereign, and he does not have to answer to us. In fact, he doesn't even have to, he tells us, we, you don't even have to understand. He's sovereign. God can be trusted even when we cannot be. God is faithful because of who he is, not because of who you and I are. God is faithful even when I'm not. Now, I want to read a couple of verses to you that really bring this picture of Jacob's life together. Romans chapter 9, verses 10 through 13. This son was our ancestor Isaac. When he married Rebekah, she gave birth to twins. But before they were born, before they had done any good or bad, she, Rebekah, received a message from God. This message shows that God chooses people according to his own purposes. He calls people not, not according to their good or bad works. She was told, your older son will serve your younger son. Hmm. Now we begin to see why she favored Jacob. In verse 13, it says, In the words of Scripture, I loved Jacob but rejected Esau. Is that fair? I mean, I go all the way back to the very beginning of Genesis at the very first siblings in Scripture with Cain and Abel. 
God accepted the offering of one and rejected the offering of the other with no reason given. Is that fair? God is sovereign. Even when I don't understand it, he's still sovereign. Even when it makes me uncomfortable or even makes me angry, he's still sovereign. Uh, I mean, why did I get to be born in the United States? Why did I get to be born when I was born? Why did I get to grow up in a Christian family? Some of you weren't. Why did I get to? Why did I lose my dad at 12? Some of you still got your dad. Why? I don't know. But I can still trust God. I can still trust God. In Hebrews 11... It says, it was by faith that Isaac promised blessings for the future of his sons, Jacob and Esau. It was by faith that Jacob, when he was old and dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and bowed in worship as he leaned on his staff. Hmm. So by the end of his journey, much of it messy, Jacob died a man of faith. Your example as a parent has a lasting impact on your children and your grandchildren. Your life, just the fact that you're here, is a blessing from God. He saw to it that you heard the gospel. He touched your heart. You had to decide to open it. But when you did, he kept his promise. And he came into your life and he saved you. He is sovereign. And he uses lives that are messy. And that gives me hope. Let's pray.